Welcome to Drift Off, bedtime stories to help you unwind, relax, and drift off. Thank you for joining me. I'm your host, Joanne, and it's a pleasure helping you get restful sleep. I created this podcast because I wanted to provide a quiet space for comfort for my listeners. Life can get really busy, and I want this podcast to be a soft place to land at the end of the day where you feel safe and cozy as I read you a bedtime story to help you unwind and relax as you ease into a restful night's sleep. So if you're enjoying the podcast and want to support the show so that we can continue to bring you even more sleepy bedtime stories, we've created a premium membership where you can enjoy relaxing, intro and ad-free listening, two monthly bonus episodes, as well as access to a monthly guided sleep relaxation or sleep hypnosis that you can use at bedtime to help you sleep. Go sign up at driftoff.supercast.com or see the link in the show notes. That's driftoff.supercast.com. Tonight I'll be reading Chapter 4 from the book Little House in the Big Woods by Laura Ingalls Wilder. This story takes place in 1871 and is about a young girl by the name of Laura Ingalls and her family who live in a house in the woods and about the challenges and the joys of pioneer life. So go ahead and settle in. And as your body and mind finally come to rest, give yourself permission to relax. Permission to let go. Permission to be fully supported by the surface that you're resting on. And in this quiet, safe space now, bring attention to the flow of your breath. Noticing the sensations of the in-breath, the out-breath. Becoming aware of the movement of your chest and abdomen as the breath flows in and as the breath flows out like gentle waves lapping upon the shore. It is safe to relax. It is safe to unwind. It is safe to let go. And so as always, my friend, Settling comfortably under the covers. Take a full, comfortable breath. And as you exhale, relax and let go. Allow any tension to just melt away. Letting your body sink deeper and deeper down 
into the softness of your bed. There is nothing else to do and nowhere else to be. So just lay back, relax, and enjoy the story. Christmas was coming. The little log house was almost buried in the snow. Great drifts were banked against the walls and windows, and in the morning, when Pa opened the door, there was a wall of snow as high as Laura's head. Pa took the shovel and shoveled it away, and then he shoveled a path to the barn, where the horses and the cows were snug and warm in their stalls. The days were clear and bright. Laura and Mary stood on chairs by the window and looked out across the glittering snow at the glittering trees. Snow was piled all along their bare, dark branches, and it sparkled in the sunshine. Icicles hung from the eaves of the house to the snowbanks, great icicles as large as the top as Laura's arms. They were like glass and full of sharp lights. Pa's breath hung in the air like smoke when he came along the path from the barn. He breathed it out in clouds, and it froze in white frost on his mustache and beard. When he came in, stamping the snow from his boots, and caught Laura up in a bear's hug against his cold, big coat, his mustache was beaded with little drops of melting frost. Every night he was busy, working on a large piece of board and two small pieces. He whittled them with his knife. He rubbed them with sandpaper and with the palm of his hand, until when Laura touched them, they felt soft and smooth as silk. Then, with his sharp jackknife, he worked at them, cutting the edges of the large one into little peaks and towers, with a large star carved on the very tallest point. He cut little holes through the wood. He cut the holes in shapes of windows and little stars and crescent moons and circles. All around them, he carved tiny leaves and flowers and birds. One of the little boards he shaped in a lovely curve, and around its edges he carved leaves and flowers and stars. And through it, he cut crescent moons and curlicues. Around the edges of the smallest board, he carved a tiny flowering vine. He made the tiniest shavings, cutting very slowly and carefully, making whatever he thought would be pretty. At last, he had the pieces finished, and one night, he fitted them together. When this was done, the large piece was beautifully carved back for a smooth little shelf across its middle. The large star was at the very top of it. The curved piece supported the shelf underneath, and it was carved beautifully too, and the little vine ran around the edge of the shelf. Pa had made this bracket for a Christmas present for Ma. He hung it carefully against the log wall between the windows, and Ma stood her little china woman on the shelf. 
The little china woman had a china bonnet on her head and china curls hung against her china neck. Her china dress was laced across in front and she wore a pale pink china apron and little gilt china shoes. She was beautiful, standing on the shelf with flowers and leaves and birds and moons carved all around her and the large star at the very top. Ma was busy all day long, cooking good things for Christmas. She baked salt-rising bread and Swedish crackers and a huge pan of baked beans with salt pork and molasses. She baked vinegar pies and dried apple pies and filled a big jar with cookies, and she let Laura and Mary lick the cake spoon. One morning she boiled molasses and sugar together until they made a thick syrup, and Pa brought in two pans of clean white snow from outdoors. Laura and Mary each had a pan, and Pa and Ma showed them how to pour the dark syrup in little streams onto the snow. They made circles and curlicues and squigglied things, and these hardened at once and were candy. Laura and Mary might eat one piece each, but the rest was saved for Christmas Day. All this was done because Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter and the cousins, Peter and Alice and Ella, were coming to spend Christmas. The day before Christmas they came. Laura and Mary heard the happy ringing of sleigh bells growing louder every moment, and then the big bobsled came out of the woods and drove up to the gate. Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter and the cousins were in it, all covered up under blankets and robes and buffalo skins. They were wrapped up in so many coats and mufflers and veils and shawls that they looked like big, shapeless bundles. When they all came in, the little house was full and running over. Black Susan ran out and hid in the barn, but Jack leaped in circles through the snow barking as though he would never stop. Now there were cousins to play with. As soon as Aunt Eliza had unwrapped them, Peter and Alice and Ella and Laura and Mary began to run and shout. At last Aunt Eliza told them to be quiet. Then Alice said, I'll tell you what let's do. Let's make pictures. Alice said they must go outdoors to do it and Ma thought it was too cold for Laura to play outdoors. But when she saw how disappointed Laura was, she said she might go, after all, for a little while. She put on Laura's coat and mittens and the warm cape with the hood, and wrapped a muffler around her neck and let her go. Laura had never had so much fun. All morning she played outdoors in the snow with Alice and Ella and Peter and Mary making pictures. The way they did it, it was this. Each one by herself climbed up on a stump, and then all at once, holding their arms out wide, they fell off the stumps into the soft, deep snow. They fell flat on their faces. Then they tried to get up without spoiling the marks they made when they fell. If they did it well, there in the snow were five holes, shaped almost exactly like four little girls and a boy arms and legs and all. They called these their pictures. 
They played so hard all day that when night came, they were too excited to sleep. But they must sleep, or Santa Claus would not come. So they hung their stockings by the fireplace, and said their prayers, and went to bed. Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura all in one big bed on the floor. Peter had the trundle bed. Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter were going to sleep in the big bed, and another bed was made on the attic floor for Pa and Ma. The buffalo robes and all the blankets had been brought in from Uncle Peter's sled, so there were enough covers for everybody. Pa and Ma and Aunt Eliza and Uncle Peter sat by the fire, talking, and just as Laura was drifting off to sleep, she heard Uncle Peter say, Eliza had a narrow squeak the other day when I was away at Lake City. You know, Prince, that big dog of mine? Laura was wide awake at once. She always liked to hear about dogs. She lay still as a mouse and looked at the firelight flickering on the log walls and listened to Uncle Peter. Well, Uncle Peter said, early in the morning, Eliza started to the spring to get a pail of water and Prince was following her. She got to the edge of the ravine, where the path goes down to the spring, and all of a sudden, Prince set his teeth in the back of her skirt and pulled. You know what a big dog he is. Eliza scolded him, but he wouldn't let go, and he's so big and strong she couldn't get away from him. He kept backing and pulling, till he tore a piece out of her skirt. It was my blueprint, Aunt Eliza said to Ma. Dear me, Ma said. He tore a big piece right out of the back of it, Aunt Eliza said. I was so mad I could have whipped him for it, but he growled at me. Prince growled at you, Pa said. Yes, said Aunt Eliza. So then she started on again toward the spring, Uncle Peter went on. But Prince jumped into the path ahead of her and snarled at her. He paid no attention to her talking and scolding. He just kept on showing his teeth and snarling. And when she tried to get past him, he kept in front of her and snapped at her. That scared her. I should think it would, Ma said. He was so savage. I thought he was going to bite me, said Aunt Eliza. I believe he would have. I never heard of such a thing, said Ma. What on earth did you do? I turned right around and ran into the house where the children were and slammed the door, Aunt Eliza answered. Of course Prince was savage with strangers, said Uncle Peter, but he was always so kind to Eliza and the children. I felt perfectly safe to leave them with him. Eliza couldn't understand it at all. After she got into the house... He kept pacing around it and growling. Every time she started to open the door, he jumped at her and snarled. Had he gone mad, said Ma? That's what I thought, Aunt Eliza said. I didn't know what to do. There I was, shut up in the house with the children and not daring to go out. And we didn't have any water. I couldn't even get any snow to melt. Every time I opened the door so much as a crack, Prince acted like he would tear me to pieces. How long did this go on? Pa asked. All day, till late in the afternoon, Aunt Eliza said. Late in the afternoon, Uncle Peter said. He got quiet and lay down in front of the door 
Eliza thought he was asleep, and she made up her mind to try to slip past him and get to the spring for some water. So she opened the door very quietly, but of course he woke up right away. When he saw she had the water pail in her hand, he got up and walked ahead of her to the spring, just the same as usual. And there, all around the spring in the snow, were the fresh tracks of a panther. The tracks were as big as my hand, said Aunt Eliza. Yes, Uncle Peter said. He was a big fella. His tracks were the biggest I ever saw. He would have got Eliza sure if Prince had let her go to the spring in the morning. I saw the tracks. He had been lying up in the big oak over the spring, waiting for some animal to come there for water. Undoubtedly, he would have dropped down on her. Night was coming on when she saw the tracks, and she didn't waste any time getting back to the house with her pail of water. Prince followed close behind her, looking back into the ravine now and then. I took him into the house with me, Aunt Eliza said, and we all stayed inside till Peter came home. Did you get him? Pa asked Uncle Peter. No, Uncle Peter said. I took my gun and hunted all around the place, but I couldn't find him. I saw some more of his tracks. He'd gone on north, farther into the big woods. Alice and Ella and Mary were all wide awake now, and Laura put her head under the covers and whispered to Alice, My, weren't you scared? Alice whispered back that she was scared, but Ella was scareder. They lay there whispering about it till Ma said, Charles, those children never will get to sleep unless you play for them. So Pa got his fiddle. The room was still and warm and full of firelight. Ma's shadow and Aunt Eliza's and Uncle Peter's were big and quivering on the walls in the flickering firelight, and Pa's fiddle sang merrily to itself. And Laura fell asleep while Pa and the fiddle were both softly singing. In the morning, they all woke up almost at the same moment. They looked at their stockings, and something was in them. Santa Claus had been there. Alice and Ella and Laura, in their red flannel nightgowns, and Peter in his red flannel nightshirt, all ran shouting to see what he had brought. In each stocking, there was a pair of bright red mittens, and there was a long, flat stick of red and white striped peppermint candy, all beautifully notched along each side. They were all so happy, they could hardly speak at first. They just looked with shining eyes at those lovely Christmas presents. But Laura was happiest of all. She had a rag doll. She was a beautiful doll. She had a face of white cloth with black button eyes. A black pencil had made her eyebrows, and her cheeks and her mouth were red with the ink made from pokeberries. Her hair was black yarn that had been knit and raveled so that it was curly. She had little red flannel stockings and little black cloth gaiters for shoes, and her dress was pretty pink and blue calico. She was so beautiful that Laura could not say a word. She just held her tight and forgot everything else. She did not know that everyone was looking at her till Aunt Eliza said, Did you ever see such big eyes? 
The other girls were not jealous because Laura had mittens and candy and a doll, because Laura was the littlest girl, except baby Carrie and Aunt Eliza's little baby, Dolly Varden. The babies were too small for dolls. They were so small, they did not even know about Santa Claus. They just put their fingers in their mouths and wriggled because of all the excitement. Laura sat down on the edge of the bed and held her doll. She loved her red mittens and she loved the candy, but she loved her doll best of all. She named her Charlotte. Then they all looked at each other's mittens and tried on their own, and Peter bit a large piece out of his stick of candy. But Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura licked theirs to make it last longer. Well, well, Uncle Peter said. Isn't there even one stocking with nothing but a switch in it? My, my, have you all been such good children? But they didn't believe that Santa Claus could really have given any of them nothing but a switch. That happened to some children, but it couldn't happen to them. It was so hard to be good all the time, every day for a whole year. You mustn't tease the children, Peter, Aunt Eliza said. Ma said, Laura, aren't you going to let the other girls hold your doll? She meant, little girls must not be so selfish. So Laura let Mary take the beautiful doll, and then Alice held her a minute, and then Ella. They smoothed the pretty dress and admired the red flannel stockings and the gaiters and the curly wooden hair. But Laura was glad when at last Charlotte was safe in her arms again. Pa and Uncle Peter had each a pair of new warm mittens, knit in little squares of red and white. Ma and Aunt Eliza had made them. Aunt Eliza had brought Ma a large red apple stuck full of cloves. How good it smelled, and it would not spoil, for so many cloves would keep it sound and sweet. Ma gave Aunt Eliza a little needle book she had made, with bits of silk for covers and soft white flannel leaves into which to stick the needles. The flannel would keep the needles from rusting. They all admired Ma's beautiful bracket, and Aunt Eliza said that Uncle Peter had made one for her, of course, with different carving. Santa Claus had not given them anything at all. Santa Claus did not give grown people presents, but that was not because they had not been good. Pa and Ma were good. It was because they were grown up, and grown people must give each other presents. Then all the presents must be laid away for a little while. Peter went out with Pa and Uncle Peter to do the chores, and Alice and Ella helped Aunt Eliza make the beds, and Laurie and Mary set the table while Ma got breakfast. For breakfast, there were pancakes, and Ma made a pancake man for each one of the children. Ma called each one in turn to bring her plate, and each could stand by the stove and watch. While, with the spoonful of batter, Ma put on the arms and the legs and the head. It was exciting to watch her turn the whole little man over, quickly and carefully, on a hot griddle. When it was done, she put it smoking hot on the plate. Peter ate the head off his man right away, but Alice and Ella and Mary and Laura ate theirs slowly in little bits, first the arms and legs, and then the middle, saving the head for the last. Today the weather was so cold 
that they could not play outdoors. But there were the new mittens to admire and the candy to lick. And they all sat on the floor together and looked at the pictures in the Bible and the pictures of all kinds of animals and birds in Pa's big green book. Laura kept Charlotte in her arms the whole time. Then there was the Christmas dinner. Alice and Ella and Peter and Mary and Laura did not say a word at table, for they knew that children should be seen and not heard. But they did not need to ask for second helpings. Ma and Aunt Eliza kept their plates full and let them eat all the good things they could hold. Christmas comes but once a year, said Aunt Eliza. Dinner was early, because Aunt Eliza, Uncle Peter, and the cousins had such a long way to go. Best the horses can do, Uncle Peter said. We'll hardly make it home before dark. So as soon as they had eaten dinner, Uncle Peter and Pa went to put the horses to the sled while Ma and Aunt Eliza wrapped up the cousins. They pulled heavy woolly stockings over the woolen stockings and the shoes they were already wearing. They put on mittens and coats and warm hoods and shawls and wrapped mufflers around their necks and thick woolen veils over their faces. Ma slipped piping hot baked potatoes into the pockets to keep their fingers warm and Aunt Ella's flat irons were hot on the stove, ready to put at their feet in the sled. The blankets and the quilts and the buffalo robes were warmed too, so they all got into the big bobsled, cozy and warm, and Pa tucked the last robe well in around them. Goodbye, goodbye, they called, and off they went the horses trotting gaily, and the sleigh bells ringing. In just a little while, the merry sound of the bells was gone, and Christmas was over. But what a happy Christmas it had been. Now the winter seemed long. Laura and Mary began to be tired of staying always in the house, especially on Sundays. The time went so slowly. Every Sunday, Mary and Laura were dressed from the skin out in their best clothes, with fresh ribbons in their hair. They were very clean because they had their baths on Saturday night. In the summer, they were bathed in water from the spring. But in the winter time, Pa filled and heaped the wash tub with clean snow, and on the cook stove it melted to water. Then, close by the warm stove, behind a screen made of a blanket over two chairs. Ma bathed Laura, and then she bathed Mary. Laura was bathed first, because she was littler than Mary. She had to go to bed early on Saturday nights with Charlotte, because after she was bathed and put into her clean nightgown, Pa must empty the wash tub and fill it with snow again for Mary's bath. Then after Mary came to bed, Ma had her bath behind the blanket, and then Pa had his, and they were all clean for Sunday. On Sundays, Mary and Laura must not run or shout or be noisy in their play. Mary could not sew on her nine-patch quilt, and Laura could not knit on the tiny mittens she was making for baby Carrie. 
They might look quietly at their paper dolls, but they must not make anything new for them. They were not allowed to sew on doll clothes, not even with pins. They must sit quietly and listen while Ma read Bible stories to them, or stories about lions and tigers and white bears from Pa's big green book, The Wonders of the Animal World. They might look at pictures, and they might hold their rag dolls nicely and talk to them, but there was nothing else they could do. Laura liked best to look at the pictures in the big Bible with its paper covers. Best of all was the picture of Adam naming the animals. Adam sat on a rock, and all the animals and birds, big and little, were gathered around him anxiously, waiting to be told what kind of animals they were. Adam looked so comfortable. He did not have to be careful to keep his clothes clean, because he had no clothes on. He wore only a skin around his middle. Did Adam have good clothes to wear on Sundays? Laura asked Ma. No, Ma said. Poor Adam. All he had to wear was skins. Laura did not pity Adam. She wished she had nothing to wear but skins. On Sunday after supper, she could not bear it any longer. She began to play with Jack, and in a few minutes she was running and shouting. Pa told her to sit in her chair and be quiet, but when Laura sat down, she began to cry and kicked the chair with her heels. I hate Sunday, she said. Pa put down his book. Laura, he said sternly, come here. Her feet dragged as she went, because she knew she deserved a spanking. But when she reached Pa, he looked at her sorrowfully for a moment, and then took her on his knee and cuddled her against him. He held out his other arm to Mary and said, I'm going to tell you a story about when Grandpa was a boy. When your grandpa was a boy, Laura, Sunday did not begin on Sunday morning as it does now. It began at sundown on Saturday night. Then everyone stopped every kind of work or play. Supper was solemn. After supper, Grandpa's father read aloud a chapter of the Bible while everyone sat straight and still in his chair. Then they all knelt down, and their father said a long prayer. When he said Amen, they got up from their knees and each took a candle and went to bed. They must go straight to bed, with no playing, laughing, or even talking. Sunday morning, they ate a cold breakfast, because nothing could be cooked on Sunday. Then they all dressed in their best clothes and walked to church. They walked because hitching up the horses was work and no work could be done on Sunday. They must walk slowly and solemnly, look straight ahead. They must not joke or laugh or even smile. Grandpa and his two brothers walked ahead and their father and mother walked behind them. In church, Grandpa and his brothers must sit perfectly still for two long hours and listen to the sermon. They dared not fidget on the hard bench. They dared not swing their feet. 
they dared not turn their heads to look at the windows or the walls or the ceiling of the church. They must sit perfectly motionless and never for one instant take their eyes from the preacher. When church was over, they walked slowly home. They might talk on the way, but they must not talk loudly, and they must never laugh or smile. At home, they ate a cold dinner, which had been cooked the day before. Then all the long afternoon they must sit in a row on a bench and study their catechism, until at last the sun went down and Sunday was over. Now Grandpa's home was about halfway down the side of a steep hill. The road went from the top of the hill to the bottom, right past the front door. And in the winter, it was the best place for sliding downhill that you can possibly imagine. One week, Grandpa and his two brothers, James and George, were making a new sled. They worked at it every minute of their playtime. It was the best sled they had ever made, and it was so long that all three of them could sit on it, one behind the other. They planned to finish it in time to slide downhill Saturday afternoon. For every Saturday afternoon, they had two or three hours to play. But that week, their father was cutting down trees in the big woods. He was working hard, and he kept the boys working with him. They did all the morning chores by lantern light and were hard at work in the woods when the sun came up. They worked till dark, and then there were the chores to do, and after supper they had to go to bed so they could get up early in the morning. They had no time to work on the sled until Saturday afternoon. Then they worked at it just as fast as they could, but they didn't get it finished till just as the sun went down Saturday night. After the sun went down, they could not slide downhill, not even once. That would be breaking Sabbath. So they put the sled in the shed behind the house to wait until Sunday was over. All the two long hours in church next day, while they kept their feet still and their eyes on the preacher, they were thinking about the sled. At home, while they ate dinner, they couldn't think of anything else. After dinner, their father sat down to read the Bible, and Grandpa and James and George sat as still as mice on their bench with their catechism, but they were thinking about the sled. The sun shone brightly, and the snow was smooth and glittering on the road. They could see it through the window. It was a perfect day for sliding downhill. They looked at their catechism, and they thought about the new sled, and it seemed that Sunday would never end. After a long time, they heard a snore. They looked at their father, and they saw that his head had fallen against the back of his chair, and he was fast asleep. Then James looked at George, and James got up from the bench and tiptoed out of the room through the back door. George looked at Grandpa, and George tiptoed after James. And Grandpa looked fearfully at their father, but on tiptoe, he followed George and left their father snoring. They took their new sled and went quietly up to the top of the hill. They meant to slide down just once, 
Then they would put the sled away and slip back to their bench and the catechism before their father woke up. James sat in front on the sled, then George, and then Grandpa, because he was the littlest. The sled started, at first slowly, then faster and faster. It was running, flying down that long, steep hill, but the boys dared not shout. They must slide silently past the house without waking their father. There was no sound except the little whirr of the runners on the snow and the wind rushing past. Then just as the sled was swooping toward the house, a big black pig stepped out of the woods. He walked into the middle of the road and stood there. The sled was going so fast it couldn't be stopped. There wasn't time to turn it. The sled went right under the hog and picked him up. With a squeal, he sat down on James, and he kept squealing long and loud and shrill. They flashed by the house, the pigs sitting in front, then James, then George, then Grandpa, and they saw their father standing in the doorway looking at them. They couldn't stop. They couldn't hide. There was no time to say anything. Down the hill they went, the hog sitting on James, and squealing all the way. At the bottom of the hill they stopped. The hog jumped off James and ran away into the woods, still squealing. The boys walked slowly and solemnly up the hill. They put the sled away. They sneaked into the house and slipped quietly to their places on the bench. Their father was reading his Bible. He looked up at them without saying a word. Then he went on reading, and they studied their catechism. But when the sun went down and the Sabbath day was over, their father took them out to the woodshed and tanned their jackets. First James, then George, then Grandpa. So you see, Laura and Mary, Pa said, you might find it hard to be good. But you should be glad that it isn't as hard to be good now as it was when Grandpa was a boy. Did little girls have to be as good as that? Laura asked. And Ma said, It was harder for little girls, because they had to behave like little ladies all the time, not only on Sundays. Little girls could never slide downhill like boys. Little girls had to sit in the house and stitch on samplers. Now run along and let Ma put you to bed, said Pa, and he took his fiddle out of its box. Laura and Mary lay in their trundle bed and listened. Laura began to float away on the music, and then she heard a clattering noise, and there was Ma by the stove, getting breakfast. It was Monday morning, and Sunday would not come again for a whole week.